Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of the Over the Line Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Martin, and on this week's episode, I'm pleased to be joined by, again, my good friend Justin Levine of Puck Authority and women's hockey writer Holly Morrison to talk about the state of women's hockey. How's it going, guys? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Thank you for having me, Curtis. How are you doing? Not too bad. So I think what... I think we want to get straight into this talk because I'm I'm personally very excited for this episode having two you two guys probably the uh, people that are most knowledgeable about this sport or this these leagues. I think I, what I want to start off with first is because I know both of you have been covering the uh, NWHL, especially since the Toronto Six have been announced. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know: Do you think that the NWHL could be the only professional women's hockey league? Be like the league? Um, I definitely have um, some thoughts on that. Um, I think, um, like, first of all, we don't really ask men's professional hockey leagues if there's, like, the league. Like, obviously, the NHL is the best league for men to play in, but there's the AHL, there's the ECHL. Um, I think it's possible for there to be two elite women's hockey leagues in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. But so I, think I think that they're doing, like, a good job right now, basically, are my thoughts on the end of UHL. Sorry, what were you going to say, Justin? Sorry, I didn't know how I was going to continue. Um, oh, so, yeah, no worries. You know, I think my view on this is, you know, the NWHL has proven that they can have success. And so, you know, with that in mind, I think that, you know, yeah, yes, they've had some bumps in the road, but I think with you know, now two expansion teams done in Minnesota and Toronto. I think they've proven that it's possible, but um, and, you know, at the end of the day, when there's the, the talk of the WNHL and the NWHL, uh, you know, potentially clashing, I think it's possible that the NWHL can exist uh, separately uh, in the end. Um, you know, there have been talks of the, of the league obviously shutting down and bringing all players together for the one professional league. However, you know, I don't see the NWHL at this point shutting down. So I think that as two separate entities, I could see it being whereas um, the NWHL ends up existing and, you know, they, they're they able to have that success and con- continue on regardless of, you know, what the state of women's hockey looks like uh, in Canada uh, with the WNHL for these players in the PWHPA. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point about the, uh, or, or you just brought up the PWHPA. And I think that, that's the most interesting thing right now having a group of arguably the best players in the world uh in this kind of interesting like uh not necessarily a league but like it's a players union and they well they're not like legally a union but they're an association they're an association sorry yeah yeah Yeah, they're part of um of a group in philadelphia they've they filed the papers, uh, obviously, before the Dream Gap Tour. That being said, they're not, you know, legally a union per se. That's why they, I think they've labeled themselves as a players association. Um, you know, could, they're, again, they're run by players, not exactly by, um, you know, the the top heads at the, uh, these firms. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about that is the fact that I'll, arguably a lot of the best players in the world, like, Hillary Knight, like, I mean, you can just go down the list. There's a bunch of them are playing for this uh, Players Association, being a part of the Dream Gap Tour. Um, I'm just wondering, since COVID has kind of affected a lot of things, and especially the businesses, I know that a lot of players have said that they wanted the NHL to come step in and create a league kind of like the NBA did with the WNBA or WBA. I forget what the abbreviation WNBA. is right now. WNBA. So do you think that um, that's still possible right now as things stand for the, NA- for the NHL and the PWHPA to create that league? Or do you think that because of COVID, you'll start to see a couple of these high-end players maybe move to the NWHL because of the fact that the NHL doesn't really have the uh, extra cash right now to start something like that? Well, I mean, I think I see it this way, whereas the NHL already expressed that, you know, while they're interested in helping out, they, you know, they don't intend to instate a WNHL until the NWHL decides to fold. Um, that way they can bring all the players together. However, Danny Ryland and her investors in the NWHL are uh, insistent on keeping the league alive. So uh, it doesn't look like, 
that's going to happen. But let alone COVID, uh, you know, should Bill Daly and Gary Bettman decide to say, OK, we're going to go ahead with this anyways. Um, I think that could bring some, uh, you know, extra challenge given the financials. Um, and, you know, let's let's say let's say it we're coming whenever we get out of this. Uh, let's say November, for instance. Um, I think obviously there would be a lot of, um, you know, many roadblocks to overcome just because of COVID and, you know, the financial situations and plus, uh, you know, uh, making sure that arena space is done plus uh, travel. There's a, there's a lot. So yeah, I think COVID would obviously play into something like that. Yeah, it's definitely going to affect it. I can't see them. I can't see the NHL stepping in and like realistically the next two years, I can't see it happening before say like the 2025 season, just in terms of, you know, it takes a lot of effort to start a hockey league. Let's just say that. And since you guys are both agreeing, basically, that the NHL is not going to step in anytime soon, do you think that there's like a certain point where these pay- players are going to say that, hey, you know, the NWHL is still around. They ha- they're paying players. Like, obviously, salaries is the big issue with the mm-hmm. NWHL. But do you think there's a point where a lot of those players are saying, well, you know, the NHL isn't going to help us anytime soon. Maybe we should just kind of play nice and move over with the uh, NWHL. Well, I think for sure there's, um, I don't want to say like bad blood, but there are definitely players in the PWHPA aren't playing in the NWHL for a reason. And like they have issues, they have complaints. I don't know if you guys read that article that came out on the Victory Press a while ago, where it sort of players were naming reasons why they didn't feel like professionals in the NWHL and some of the stuff that they went through was kind of bleak. I know that like Hillary Knight especially um, has said that she doesn't want to play in the NWHL. She has, she hasn't really been specific about it, but there are reasons that these players don't want to play there. Um, And I think it would take a lot for um, those players to sort of jump ship and decide that they're going to play in the NWHL. I would have to agree with Holly. I think that a lot of uh, what was in that article from Kirsten Wellen, uh, Melissa Burgess, and uh, Zoe, um, her, blanking on her last name, but point being, a lot of those points were very alarming. And, um, you know, Hillary Knight was one of those who experienced um, things that were not, you know, not just not professional standard, but things that were, um, you know, with uh, league executives not fair or uh, not handled properly. And so, you know, she left. And so, you know, there's a lot of that on the PWHPA. A lot of these players who left uh, to, you know, for something better under Jaina Hefford, uh, regardless of the fact that they're not paying right now because they're an association rather than uh, an actual league. But, um, you know, I think that because of the, you know, the, I don't want to say bad blood either, but, you know, it's kind of what it is that this is something that, um a lot of these players are not, you know, anytime soon going to go back to the NWHL, especially those who have learned from uh, those players that, you know, of their experiences, whether it's just been uh, bad travel, bad communication with coaches, uh, you know, unideal scenarios at arenas, uh, you know, it all goes into it. And that's all listed more on the Victory Press. Mm -hmm. And then also, to be completely fair, there was another article, I'm blanking on where it was, that came out um, after that, where sort of NWHL sources were, like, given an opportunity to sort of talk about how the league has progressed since then, talk about, you know, whether or not those things were true, in a sense, where Anya Packer and Danny Ryland were interviewed. Um, I'm blanking on where that article was, but um, I'm sure you can find it. Um, And basically, there have been um, PWHPA players who have sort of jumped from the PW to the NW. Um, So it's not, um, it's not unfathomable that that might happen. Yeah, I think, you know, I think what interested me the most was the fact that, you know, I think the NWHL is still moving forward, despite what's been going on in the world. And despite what the PWHPA is uh, doing in standing pat, I think, you know, Expanding again to um, Toronto, Toronto Six is obviously an interesting, interesting move. Do you think that uh, moving into Canada gives this league more uh, appeal or legitimacy? Um, you know, I think that it kind of does in one sense to show how serious they are about uh, growing the women's game. That being said, uh, you know, they're off to a pretty good start 
uh, if you want, if, if you want my honesty with, you know, general manager, uh, Mandy Cronin, who came over from the Buffalo Buttes, uh, the, their owner, who is Digit Murphy, who uh, previously was an executive in the CWHL with the KRS Banky Rays. Then, they, you know, again, when uh, Holly touching on the fact that uh, just like NW players have gone to the PA, PA players have gone to the NW and, you know, they've got five of them. They've got uh, Jenna McParlin, Taylor Woods, Cheyenne D'Argangelo, just to name a few. So I think that, you know, that tells you that this is a team that that can have success and you know part of expansion is getting more investors and uh that doesn't just help the team but that also helps the league uh, in terms of sustainability so i think that that tells you that you know they were serious enough to do it and that this is something that could last a little while so you know i'm interested to see how how much longer this league lasts uh just given um you know the rising tensions um but you know, they've got a strong roster so far, and they added another one today. So uh, things are looking pretty good here. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to be biased to one or the other. Um, but, you know, this is uh, pretty promising as of right now. Yeah, um, and I think just one of the definite pros to the NW expanding into Canada is that it's going to be a lot easier for women's hockey players if they're playing in Toronto and especially if they're Canadian to work and play at the same time because previously Canadian players would have had a more difficult time um, playing in the NWHL because women's hockey players as it stands most of them do have day jobs and just because of the way that work and travel visas work it's not possible for the vast majority of women's hockey players to play in the city that they work in if they're not a native of the United States. Yeah, I think you brought up a really good point, Holly, about the fact that, you know, it's kind of hard for someone that doesn't live in the United States before the Toronto Six to play in the uh, NWHL. I think going off of that point, do you think that, you know, if, I know there's a bunch of ifs in this question, but if the Toronto Six are successful in the league, does fine after all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, could you see their next move being expanding into Montreal or another Canadian city? Um, that's a great question. I want to say <laughs> that, you know, Montreal, we have to keep in mind that Montreal, when they were in the CWHL as the Lake Canadien de Montreal, they were the most profitable team in the league. So that says a lot for the fact that they moved, that the expansion came to Toronto first, uh, before, you know, potentially later on Montreal, um, which they've been considering for over a year now. But uh, again, the initial expansion was canceled after they realized it wasn't possible. But then, you know, I think uh, once Digit Murphy jumped on board, uh, you know, my guess would be she's probably been on for almost a full year to make this happen to where they are now. Um, so, you know, do I think that Montreal could be next if this is successful? Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, the WNHL, should it, um, you know, be brought up, I could A, see Jane Hefford running it, and B, I don't, you know, I also don't see a way in that respect that the NWHL owns Montreal, because I would think the WNHL wants a Montreal team. So it's just a lot of logistics. Mm-hmm, for sure. I, yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of cities that the NWHL is looking into expanding into, and I think that, um... Yeah, I there's just a lot of places that they want to go, and there are fans basically sort of lobbying for um, teams in Philly, teams in Pittsburgh. Um, some people want a team in Arizona, which I think could be an interesting challenge. Uh, but yeah, I think the individual is expanding, and it's really not going to stop. Yeah, I I think you guys can uh, <laughs> discredit my point that I'm going to make, but I think a big part of the reason why they had decided to do Toronto instead of Montreal. I think, like, what you said, like, the league has had um, a lot of issues, and one of those things is, you know, travel. And I think, you know, Montreal mm-hmm. is obviously farther away from the rest of these um, teams than Toronto is. And I think, you know, the a main reason why I think they went to Toronto was because, you know, you have Buffalo just down the uh, QEW. You have, you know, Minnesota is obviously a little bit of a drive, but, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Boston... You know, all these kind of like border cities, not really border cities, but cities close to the Canadian border. And, you know, Toronto's right on that border. So I just think that's one of the reasons why they probably did that. But I think it's very interesting seeing maybe what their next move will be and uh, how Toronto's going to succeed. 
Right. And you know, I think that's a valid point. And I think that with that as well, uh, you mentioned travel that uh, the NWHL is actually, as far as my understanding goes, that they've started providing flights rather than making the making the full drive, the full drive down to the United States for teams like Minnesota. Um, And I believe that Boston, they're also flying to now as well. I could be wrong with that, but I think that's my understanding as well. Yeah, you'd have a better understanding of that than me, for sure. Yeah, that's that's uh, good to hear because I think, you know, when you have a league where it's... I think the best example of this, and uh, Justin, you can uh, speak more to this than I can, but, like, for example, you have uh, a lot of teams in the WHL where it's, like, it's really tough because you have uh, pretty long bus rides between uh, games and, and cities, and I know, obviously, there are different leagues. One's a junior league that plays three times a week, and another one's the... And WHL, but I think when you have those restrictions of basically being a team that can only uh, ride the bus to places, it kind of limits where you can go for your league. Absolutely, it does. And, you know, the CWHL uh, a lot of the time was very stuck to this other than uh, Calgary and China. So, um, you know, it's shown challenges there. Um, you know, again, you see it in junior hockey all the time, the PWHPA, they're doing uh, bus rides. Um, as far as I know, to to almost everywhere they've played this season. So, um, yeah, it's uh, not the most ideal for travel, but um, you know there are restrictions, and you know you have to t- you have to take with what you're handed. I I think uh, you actually brought up something that I I completely forgot about talking about uh, China and women's hockey. I know this is going to sound a, a little bit crazy, but and going off of what we've talked at this point, but you know, with a lot of the uh, Olympics happening in uh, Asia the next couple of years, and then, well, it's China, then Italy. Do you could you kind of see like almost kind of like a KHL, but only for women's hockey, where it's a European women's hockey league popping up soon? That's a good question. Um, I want to say you know, because there's already the ZZHL in which a Chinese women's hockey team plays in. Um, and that's, you know, the Russian Women's Hockey League. So, you know, it, that already kind of exists to that end. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, that that's why I can't see anything else really popping up there, uh, especially all China based, because, you know, they there's not there's not uh, enough cities, perhaps not enough players. And so I think that this ZZHL where actually there are some PW players, uh, such already been said, but, you know, players like. Uh, Megan Bozak, um, Shay Tiley, Jessica Wong, uh, just name a few have been playing there. And so I think that in mind that, um, you know, there's already success in the European Women's Hockey League. Uh, and, and, you know, the Kunlin Red Star and the Karas Banky Rays were both teams that were originally built uh, in preparation for the Olympics coming to China. So I think that um, they've already had success there. So I can't really see anything else being done. Yeah, I I think um I think the one thing that needs to happen if there's a league in North America where it's you know obviously you want to have the best league in the world if you're creating any league. I think the main thing that needs to happen if they want one of these leagues is have making it more um I don't more appealing for these uh, European players that come over and uh play in these leagues or in these tournaments in North America. And, you know, I I think you can even see that with the PWHPA. It's a lot of Americans and Canadians. It's not necessarily any of the, the European players that you usually see in the Olympics, especially like some of the Swedish players. So, you know, I think that's a very interesting thing to look forward in the future and seeing if maybe some of those players do come over or if something starts over there in Europe. Yeah, totally. And I think just... um. Getting players from other countries, what it comes down to really is money, because if you're not being paid enough, like as it is, women's hockey players don't make enough money for that to be their full-time income. They have to have day jobs, and you would have to pay European players enough money that it makes sense for them to relocate and to not be able to have that day job, that secondary source of income. Do you think that can happen without the NHL? Um... It'd be a long shot, to be honest, I think. I think you can have a sustainable women's hockey league without the NHL, but I think to have European players participate, uh, you need a big investor, and I think the most likely one at this point is the NHL. 
Yeah, I would have to agree with that. That you know, I think again when we talk about pro leagues, like you mentioned, I think that a pro league can exist. We're seeing it right now with the NWHL. How I mean, for how long is the only thing we don't know. But um, yeah, with European players, I think you need a, a heavy investor, which is why the CWHL went to China. Uh, just for example, uh, to you know, to a grow the game, uh, grow their brand, and uh, to get an investor to help uh, keep the league afloat. And uh, you know, once they lost one of the Chinese teams, it kind of, you know, th- I think that's probably when it all started falling apart. So yeah, I would agree. I think you need a, a heavy investor to be behind that. You know, I think for a lot of this podcast, we've talked about you know what is the sustainability of women's hockey in, in a professional capacity, obviously. And I just wanted to know um, your guys' opinion on how important having a connection almost with the uh, NCAA and U Sports is for um, these leagues, even if there's another one that pops up or the NWHL. How, do you, how important do you think it is to have uh, the players from these almost kind of pool into your league? Um, I think, like, it's definitely critical to have a relationship with colleges and universities, both in the United States and Canada. I think because that's where the majority of your player pool is going to come from and you need to prove to them that you're going to treat them as well as their universities have because there is sort of a um, there's a feeling amongst women's hockey players that the time that they're treated the best in their careers the time that they feel the most like professionals is when they're in college and when they're playing because of um, basically because of title nine and you need to prove to them that that kind of treatment is going to continue um, going forward into a professional league, you need to get them on board because otherwise they might stop playing hockey altogether. That's a very distinct possibility. Yeah, I would I would have to agree. And, um, you know, I think that uh, a relationship with the NCAA and U Sports uh, for both leagues are really crucial, especially seeing as the NWHL is getting a lot of their players from the NCAA. Not to say that the PW isn't because they certainly have a handful themselves, but uh, they're also opening more to U Sports, whereas the NWHL only has one, and they had a draft pick uh, for the Toronto Six, Aaron Locke from York University, uh, who hasn't signed. But you know, regardless, this is the the next generation, and you know, I think because of that, it's super important. Give these girls a future beyond school, uh, somewhere where they can continue playing and not just beer league, but you know, again, in a professional stature, as Curtis mentioned. So uh, I think that it's absolutely crucial that uh, you know these. Uh, good relationships uh, continue to exist. Mm-hmm. I and think... I just, sorry. Oh. No, uh, no, go ahead. Hold okay. On. Yeah. I just wanted to sort of say that, like, it is kind of like a sad reality that a lot of women's hockey players do stop playing after college. I wrote um, a piece in my first year at the Brock Press um, just about women's hockey and sustainability, where I got to talk to their hockey coach and I talked to a couple of their players. And there was a fourth year player that I talked to um, who. Uh, she's a phenomenal player. She was amazing. Uh, she was second in the team on goals, but she wasn't even considering really continuing to play hockey because she knew that she wasn't gonna, she wasn't going to be able to progress. She wasn't going to be able to make a living. Um, I think she said like, you have to know when to hang them up because at a certain point it's not realistic anymore. And that's just something that made me really sad to be honest um, because men's hockey players don't have to think like that. Yeah, I I think that's a good point. I was actually gonna, that was actually gonna be my question. I was gonna ask you because you you know you follow um, a, a university team in the uh, Brock Badgers, and mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, a bunch of them uh, applied for the uh, the uh, NWHL draft uh, the past month, couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And I think and it's uh, I just, sorry. No. Yeah, just, for Brock, it's just, easy for them because Buffalo is so close. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that, but I yeah, I was just gonna ask you. I was, I was thinking, it's like, what kind? Of, what is the kind of thinking behind you know, when you're in, uh, for this example, you you're, we're talking about U sports, but if you're in any school, like, what is the kind of like the mindset these players have to uh, think about when they're deciding whether they want to continue hockey and try to get drafted in the NWHL case or get signed in the PWHL case or not signed, but join mm-hmm. what do you think is the main factors that they think about and how can leagues improve their chances to draw more of these players into wanting to be drafted or wanting to play for their league or their whatever it's or whatever it is um 
I think they see it as a very enticing opportunity to be able to not only continue, but like I said, it's, you know, rather than, you know, playing once or twice a week beer league in addition to their jobs, it's pro. I mean, yes, it's not exactly, you know, when you hear professional, you think, okay, they're fully supported. It's obviously not that, uh, as we know, because, of you know, these women have day jobs and it's not like they've got the NHL backing uh, that they're hoping for. But, um, you know, I think it's, you know, to, to get paid to play hockey, I think is absolutely something that a lot of these players see as enticing. That way they don't have to put the, the stick and skates away after college. And so, you know, I think with that in mind, uh, again, that, you know, brings up a really important um, issue. So, you know, I guess to to that extent, you know, I think that they, they see it as worth doing, especially when the NWHL, I believe this year, they drafted a total of 33 players. So your chances are, are pretty good. So um, it's just a matter of actually signing after being drafted. Mm-hmm. I think uh, basically it's the number one thing that you're going to attract players with is if you can pay them enough that that's their primary source of income, obviously that's not happening right now. So the number two thing that you can do is you have to make it convenient for these women to work their day jobs, whatever that happens to be, to work and or go to school. Um, You have to make it convenient for them to do that while also playing professional hockey is basically what I think it comes down to. And just from a Brock perspective, I know that, um, uh, like, I know that there are, a lot of talented players in U sports and on the Bronx team in general that um, have seen it at, to more of their benefit to stop playing hockey at a competitive level altogether because it would get in the way of their careers. And I think if you can make it so that their career um, can coexist with their hockey career, I think that would be a big draw for any of these leagues starting up. Uh, those were very good points. I mean, I, I think a lot of people forget when you're looking at a, a league like the uh, NWHL, the fact that, you know, there isn't that salary that gives them, you know, the ability to not have a, a primary job and do that like a lot of the other professional leagues. So I think those are really good points. And I think I want to take a turn now and get more into, you know, the um, the Toronto Six because they are the new team and, you know, a lot of us are based out of Ontario, so... A lot of people that listen are based out of Ontario. So I want, I was wanting just to, for you guys to get your opinion of, you know, some of the players that they've signed so far and maybe the uh, chances that they have on the season, if there is one. <laughs> I mean, um, baseline, I think they're going to be pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, I can certainly say I think that they're, you know, again, like I said earlier, they've got a pretty solid roster uh, so far. Uh, they've even got some uh, former NWHL players, those coming from other teams, um, you know, even from the SDHL in Sweden. Um, you know, Emma Woods uh, was the most recent one, aside from today's of Sarah Steele, uh, who I reported on a few weeks back. And then, you know, you've got... Again, Kelly Babstock, uh, then from the CWHL, you've got Jenny McParlin, Emma Greco, Elaine Chuli, Kristen Barbara, uh, Cheyenne Darkangelo, Taylor Woods. Um, you know, I think that this is a really, really good roster. Samantha Ridgewell, I hear, is a very strong goaltender. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they've got some, you know, strong forwards like Brooke Boquist and Amy Curlew. Uh, alongside Michaela Grant Mentis, who played uh, for the Buffalo Buttes last season. So I think there's a lot of promise here. Uh, Holly, what do you think? Yeah, uh, same thing, honestly. I think they're going to be great. I think their goaltending depth is really good. Only truly is a little bit on the smaller side, but that doesn't hasn't really stopped women's hockey goalies before. Uh, their forward depth is great. Um, they've got a really good mix of veteran players and younger players i think they're going to be really good honestly i I think you know that's i think they've really gotten the player side right so far you know having a lot of signings and bringing in a lot of people from different backgrounds and uh, different areas of where they played but i think the main question uh, surrounding this team and i don't know if it's been answered you guys can correct me or not is uh where they're going to play have they do do they know where they're going to play yet um, okay, so I can actually provide some insight there. Uh, after talking with uh, some of the players coming over 
uh, from the PW to the NW. They've they've had weekly meetings with Digit Murphy, the team owner Tyler Tuminia, and Johanna Boynton, who is another uh, team executive. And so from those conversations, I've been told, um, you know, within the last month or so, that they are currently looking at arenas in uh, the areas of Vaughn and North York. So that gives a little bit of insight into where they could be playing because what I think, you know, this really comes down to, in my mind, the fact that they probably couldn't lock down Maple Leaf Gardens, known as Madame Athletic Center, because of exam season and how, you know, that would affect with the pro women's hockey team's uh, playoff run, should they be in one. So I think they didn't want to risk that. So they started looking, um, you know, in a more uh, rural area. So... You know, Canlan Ice Center, where the York Lions play is an option. Uh, Herb Carnegie Arena is a little bit old, but, um, you know, I guess it's still open for the possibility. Um, you know, Scotiabank Pond, uh, where the OJHL's junior Canadians play, uh, that's a really uh, well-up-kept one. So, you know, these are all possibilities, but, uh, yeah, that gives you an idea of where they might be playing. It's just uh, waiting on an arena to be announced, which is why today I was surprised to see that another player was signed rather than maybe uh, giving us a, a hint or two as to where this team might be hitting the ice. Yeah. I, th- I think, you know, I just uh, follow up on that. Did, do you know if they ever uh, approached the Leafs to see if they could uh, work out a schedule with the Marlies and play in a, what's now Coca-Cola Coliseum? I do not uh, have any insight into that at this time. I've also thought of that as a potential option. If you want the truth, um, my thinking is it would probably not be as hard as I'm thinking it might be to split a AHL schedule with an NWHL team. Uh, I think it's potentially doable, more doable than perhaps eSports again because of exam season. So, uh, yeah, definitely an uh, interesting one. But no, I do not have uh, any details at this time on that. Um, I think also um, going to you, Holly, mm-hmm. you know, I think having – where the arena is is such a big deal for uh, gaining a fan base uh where do you uh, as justin said you know york or vaughn where do you see uh, a good location being for this team or even if it's outside of that area where would you want this team to play as a fan yeah uh just from a fan perspective you know it would be um as sick as it would be for them to be able to play in downtown toronto um it you know, it's hard to secure that kind of arena space, especially for a league that um, is a little bit more strapped for financial resources. But I think just an important thing in general for this team is that they have to be, it has to be accessible via public transit. Basically, if there's a bus stop close to the arena, um, I'm going is basically what I think about their arena situation. I don't care where it is as long as I can get there. Um, yeah, it just has to be accessible to the public from the downtown core, I think. I'm not a Toronto person, so I don't know a whole lot about uh, where the arenas are, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I I think, you know, you, you bring up a good point. Like, for example, I, I went to the PWHPA uh, showcase in January, and, you know, they played in a couple of different areas. They played in the Mount of Me Athletic Center or Maple Leaf Gardens, which, you know, was a really good event. They also played in, um, I'm sorry, what was the arena called in New York again? Uh, Canlan. Can- Canlan, yeah. They're playing Canlan, which I've, Canlan's not bad. I mean, it's a little bit old, a little bit dark, but, you know, I think, like you said, it's going to be really important to uh, show what happens or have the arena have, like, a good enough seating and have, like, access to it, like you said, Holly. You know, obviously, the Hockey Hall of Fame had announced its inductees a little bit over a month ago and uh, only one women's hockey player. So I just wanted you guys to maybe give your thoughts on the one person that was inducted and uh, why they're not using both slots and maybe if they should have more than two slots. Um, okay. So, yeah, I think, again, you bring up a really interesting point with this because, you know, uh, let, let's take it from, from this year backwards. So this year was Kim St. Pierre, the lone Canadian goaltender, uh, and that's quite quite an achievement. And, you know, with that, I think stands a possibility that they might only be using one of the two seats that they have for women's hockey um, to be inducted because they're picking women with such achievement, such, you know, accomplished titles that they want those to stand out alone rather than 
picking two. Again, this is just me guessing. I don't know for sure. Um, you know, last year, Haley Wickenheiser, who I covered at Hall of Fame weekend, you know, she's played at the national team for many years at the Olympics or the Women's World Championships. Um, she played in the CWHL. So, you know, these women have a lot riding on their backgrounds. So, you know, thinking on my feet, that might be the reason. But again, I, you know, I'm not going to guarantee perhaps that that's why um and again i don't think it's fair that there's only two seats i do think that you know women should have just as good a chance as uh any men do rather it's in the building category or the player category so um you know i'm not exactly um in favor of that because you know i cover women's hockey and i see these incredible women um and i think that you know they should again have just as good as a good chance their talents are just as good um and you know we're we're in a time where we're leaning towards, you know, equality and, and inclusion. And I think that, you know, part of that is making this right and changing that policy. And rather than, you know, having two seats, take away those two seats and give them just as good a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. I think the two seat rule was sort of introduced with good intentions, at least, uh, you know, sort of to try and encourage, Uh, the Hall of Fame committee to induct more women, Um, but it hasn't really worked, so to speak. Um, Like, yes, women have been inducted into the Hall of Fame, and that hadn't happened before 2010, Uh, but the only time that they've used those two induction slots was in 2010 when they inducted Angela James and Candy Granato, who were the first women to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and there are only six women in the Hall of Fame, Um, I think. (laughs) I could be wrong. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's six. So like, just think about that. I believe that's right. Yeah. There are just under 200 men in the hall and six women. That's Jeez. sort of, yeah, that's a shocking, staggering percentage. There are no female builders in the hall of fame. Um, even though, um, you know, women are pretty good at building things when it comes to hockey leagues. I'd say, uh, Fran Ryder organized an entire, um, unofficial, hockey tournament uh like a world hockey tournament the fact that she's not in the hall as a builder is insane to me yeah i think there are so many deserving people uh who have kind of you know been robbed in that sense because of such incredible things that they did and you know not getting the recognition of the hall of fame for it uh you know rather you're just you know a player or someone uh, significant trying to help the future or you're both so you know i agree with you i think that that's absolutely staggering and um you know some might even say it's not fathom- fathomable and you know i agree yeah and sort of you know you can kind of if you look at who the like the hockey hall of fame works on a selection committee and there's only one woman on that selection committee and it's kathy campbell pascal and there are you know, there are a ton of men on that committee, but only one woman. And sort of for Cassie Campbell-Pascal to have to sort of take up the mantle of recommending every single woman for induction, that's just a lot placed on her. And I think, yeah, when you look at the demographics of the selection committee, it absolutely makes sense. It's still wrong and, um, to be very blunt, wrong and dumb, but it does make sense. Yeah, I, right. I think and you have to keep in mind as well that Pascal was on the national team herself. So, you know, yeah. obviously she wants to lend a voice to women's hockey and to her former teammates. So, yeah, and you know, she's not in the Hall of Fame. That. Right. And that, you know, that itself, I'm not even sure, you know, what the policy is in terms of uh, voting members being in the Hall of Fame, if they're if that's allowed to happen. Um, but she's certainly deserving herself. So mm-hmm. just something to think about. Yeah, I think, you, you know, I think I could do a whole podcast on how the... Uh, uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame is kind of messed up. I did we'll do that, say. actually. And, like, like we could go down the list of, like, you know, there's not a lot of black players in the Hockey Hall of Fame, you know, mm-hmm. Europeans. Angela James, when she was inducted, became the eighth black player in the Hall of Fame and the only openly gay player in the Hall of Fame. And the only woman. She was the first. Yep, first woman. Yeah, I think the most um, shocking thing to me was when I... I, was, I wrote an article on the Hockey Hall of Fame. Check it out on OverlineSports.ca. Um, <laughs> quick plug. But uh, when I was looking, doing research on Jerome Ginlow, obviously, you know, I don't have to do that much research to prove why Jerome Ginlow needs to get in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But I think it was pretty shocking that he's only the, um, he was only the seventh um, actual, like, skater 
like black skater to be inducted into the hockey hall of fame mm-hmm. and i think you know there's been so many good uh just even builders or skaters in general so you know should should the hockey hall of fame do a lot of things yes have they done them no it's <laughs> it's it's kind of like one of those things where it's like I'm honestly, as I've get, gotten older, I've kind of been like, yeah, I don't really care about the Hockey Hall of Fame anymore because yeah. of some of the decisions that they've made in the past couple of years. <clears throat> Gary Bettman. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just, I don't understand why, you know, I under, I could understand like a couple of years ago why Wickenheiser wasn't on the committee. You know, they're probably going to induct her. But at this point, I don't see why you can't have uh, Cassie Campbell and someone like Haley Wickenheiser, who's really respected around hockey to step in and I don't even think you need to take anyone off the committee just make the committee like one or two people bigger so that you can represent some of these groups like also you guys could correct me if I'm wrong but there's not a European um, person on the committee for um, yep you're, for the... you're entirely correct yeah there's the no hockey European hockey. women in the hockey hall of fame and there's no representative for European women on the committee so like even you know trying to maybe do that have maybe uh, Cassie and then trying to get someone from uh, European women's hockey or even someone from European men's hockey. Like, I don't think there's anyone really in that sense in the committee. I think, you know, they need to branch out a lot in a lot of different areas, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just frustrating to me. I think like they like, they obviously hit the ones of the park that you're supposed to, like, I'm sorry, it's not hard to induct Jerome McGinley or Martin Berger into the hockey hall of fame. Like those are easy, like, just like slap the name down on the piece of paper. But like when you are inducting people like Gary Bettman or like Kevin Lowe, but you're not even giving a look at some of these women's hockey players, it's just pretty frustrating to me at least. Yeah. For like a little bit of perspective, they could induct the entire Canadian women's national team and the entire U S women's national team and the entire, I don't know, let's say Swedish women's national team. And they're still, like they still wouldn't have half as many women in the Hall of Fame as players as they do men. I agree, and I don't think that's fair. I think that, you know, all these women on the U.S. national team, the Canadian national team, the Swedish national team, you know, they all, they all deserve a shot, especially because, you know, even those overseas, uh, a lot of them actually come from North America originally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they just, they have family origins, therefore they're allowed to play for those national teams. So, you know, they all deserve the same recognition. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I it's... Yeah, maybe that is another podcast I need to do because it's just like, it's just mind boggling, like how, how like I don't know, I I don't want to say the word is ignorant because you know, I don't want to take shots at like Lanny McDonald and like all those guys, but that run the Hockey Hall of Fame. But I feel like they kind of need to mix it up, put some new blood into that Hockey Hall of Fame. <laughs> this is my yeah. Opinion. I mean, I mean, I'll say it. It is kind of ignorant. Like that's not an insult to Lady McDonald or any of those people but you are fundamentally definitionally you're ignoring people you're ignoring a large percentage of hockey players yeah I yeah I don't even know how to move <laughs> on I'm just so upset by just talking about it now it sucks I do right, and again I yeah. don't I, I, I don't know if it's intentional but it's you know it's unfortunate that's that's hundred percent for sure it's so hard to again think about and again to that point it's almost you know not fathomable it's just it sucks yeah i yeah completely agree i actually recorded like a whole podcast i have i've just started a podcast called the women's hockey screaming room where i sort of talk about different women's hockey things and then at the end i scream uh so if anyone wants to get a little bit more information about uh the Hockey Hall of Fame and women's relationship to it, uh, you can check that out. It's on Spotify. <laughs> Just to plug that. I was actually going to now say, I think, you know, I've covered everything I wanted to talk with you guys. Is there anything else you want to uh, bring up that I have necessarily brought up? Because, you know, you guys are well more versed in this world than I am. So if there's anything that you wanted to quickly bring up or talk about just in general, now's the time. Uh, no, I think you've touched on some really good and important points. Um, you know, I think that women's hockey obviously still has a long way to go, but, um, you know, we're seeing progress on both ends of PWPA. Um, you know, again, something important to think about there with their players uh, and with COVID-19 especially. Um, I know that they're 
in the midst of prepping for another Dream Gap tour. However, COVID has, uh, you know, stopped them from actually being able to book them just because of the uncertainty of knowing, you know, when these might be. Um, but, you know, other in, term, in terms of that aside, the Toronto Six, they continue signings again. Sarah Steele joining the team today. Uh, she played at Boston University uh, and played last season in Budapest. So uh, just some stuff to touch on there. But other than that, Curtis, I think you really uh, hit the nail on the head with your questions and, you know, give, giving a deep dive to uh, the game itself. Yeah, same here. Uh, and honestly, like, thank you so much for having us on. I think it's um, just when I talk to players and coaches, sometimes the thing that they point to the most is that's keeping women's hockey from developing is they point to the fact that there's not enough media attention on it. And I think even just to do an episode on women's hockey is really helpful. And just to, like, you clearly have shown an interest in understanding that. And I think that's phenomenal and amazing. And I think, yeah, it's so, like, yeah, thanks, basically. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, as as a women's hockey beat writer, um, you know, we don't see a ton of uh, media attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, even at the... Dream Gap Tour stop at Madame Athletic Center. There was, you know, um, the Ryerson local paper, myself, 49 Sports, uh, and, you know, there are photographers, of course, uh, most of them freelance, yeah, like, but not a lot of actual media fronts. So mm-hmm. thank you for being able to take the time and, you know, not only understand women's hockey, but, you know, do a podcast on it. So thank you for doing that and for having us on. Yeah, I think I'm just going to, I'm. we're going to go into plugs next, but I think I'm going to do my plug first because you guys have made me uh, think about it but I think I'm not gonna plug anything of my own for my plug section of the podcast I think what I'm gonna plug is the fact that when COVID is over everyone should go out and at least go to one women's hockey game whether if you can whether it's the Toronto Six or if the PWHPA come back around esports is free if you go to a school that um has a esports team so if you want to go to a esports women's hockey game that's a good thing to plug yeah exactly like I think if if you have the chance and you have the time, you should definitely go. Like, try to support these teams. You know, I think, I think we should we should be supporting these leagues. And I think you know, obviously, I want to do this podcast because you know I don't see much besides Justin, which I want to give you credit. If you are interested in the slightest bit on uh, women's hockey, you should be following Justin on Twitter and uh, Puck Authority because they do do a do do they do they do a lot of work <laughs> on those uh, on those things. So I just want to give. And props and you, Holly, you know, I've uh, read a lot of your stuff since I was introduced you. to you by some people and it's really insightful and it's really good. So you should check both these guys out and, you know, they're great people. They cover a really good sport and yeah, talking about the photographers that are there, they just, they let this bum in. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> shout out to the PWHPA for letting me into the uh, showcase, really opened my eyes, you know, getting to talk to some of the players. So. Yeah, I think that's it. And if you guys want to plug anything, now's the time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Justin Levine HBS uh, on Facebook, where I also post my women's hockey work am- amongst other things. Uh, Justin Levine NLB. That's in relative to my baseball writing days long over. Um, that aside uh all women's hockey work in addition to everything else uh from both myself and my team at the and at puck authority one on twitter yeah and uh you can find me on twitter uh at holly morrison that's h-o-l-l double y m-o-r-r-i-s-o-n holly morrison with one y was taken uh but yeah you can find me there i post my women's hockey work i post work about other sports and i post a lot of dumb jokes too if you're interested in that kind of thing yeah, and make sure to uh, go to the Brock Press. And um, have you wrote anywhere else? Oh, 49 Sports, sorry. Also yep. 49 Sports. Shout out uh, Ben Steiner. <laughs> <laughs> go read go read Holly's uh, articles over there, you know. She's a really good writer. Can't wait for uh, U Sports to possibly come back in January and to, for you to do more writing and talk about uh, some NWHL. But... I think that's going to do it for us this week, guys. I wanted to thank Justin and Holly for coming on the show once again and remind all of you to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you basically get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe, give it a like, you know, give us a review. It helps us out a lot, gets us expanding, moving. And uh, make sure you check us out on social media. It's at OTL Sports CA. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Well, we don't really post on Facebook that much. <laughs> and uh, go go check out our uh, articles on the site at overlinesports.ca. Um, 
I mean, this last week we I put out an article. Well, it's not really an article. It's a live article talking about all the players that are opting out. So if you want to be up to date on all the players that are not going into the uh, play-in slash playoffs, make sure you check out that article routinely so that you can see the changes and who's leaving and who's uh, going, all those kind of things. And also um, my good friend Jack Ron, sorry, Juan wrote a really good article about UFC and UFC 251. So if you're into that and women's hockey, which is a really interesting uh, cross there, but if you're into both of those things, go, uh, go check it out. And I think that's going to do it for us today. Um, for us today. Sorry, God. Um, <laughs> I just want everyone to have a good day and uh, make sure to follow us next Monday for our next episode. Thanks and have a good one. Thank